And um, right now, I just want to get to Roy. Good morning, Roy. How you doing, Bob? I'm great, sir. How about yourself? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Good. I got a question about starting cuttings from pomegranates. Okay. And uh, let's see, I guess agaritas, yeah. Can you give me any hints on that? Uh, agaritas don't grow well from cuttings. Pomegranates she'll do fine with, but uh, yeah. agaritas um, collect some of those berries and uh, grow them from seed. They sprout pretty yeah. easily from seed, but you're not likely to be very successful. That that wood just has a different structure. On pomegranates, yeah. you can uh, gosh, you can produce lots and lots of uh, pomegranates. You simply want to use good, healthy. Uh, tips of the stems um you probably keep your cuttings in about the four or five inch length uh they'll of course be without leaves this time of year but this is still a good time to start them i would take a bunch of cuttings because probably 50 percent of them are going to root i would soak those cuttings in either garret juice or straight liquid seaweed or garret juice with some extra seaweed in it soak them for maybe 30 minutes uh, i'm going to put a couple of tea or tablespoons of uh, uh garret juice or and or um, uh, liquid seaweed in there. Soak them for about 30 minutes. You can root them either in sand or in perlite. I would not use vermiculite. It holds too much moisture. I wouldn't use potting soil because uh, they so often rot before they get started. But root it in either coarse sand or in perlite. Uh, keep them above freezing, but being cool is fine. You can do this outside. And uh, just in whatever pot or tray you use, put a bunch of cuttings in there. They can be you know, uh, half an inch to an inch apart. And, uh, it's going to take you somewhere between eight and 10 weeks where you see the roots start to form, but you should be very successful in rooting cuttings from pomegranate. If you want to have a bigger, uh, rooted cutting to start with, uh, during the warm weather, not this time of year, but during the summer months, you can put air layers on pomegranates and start a bigger plant that way, but, uh, wouldn't have any, any success with it at all when it's as cold as it is right now. Okay, that sounds good. I got a few seed I collected earlier this year from the uh, agaritas. I'll just try those. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, I'll go ahead. And I don't need a rooting hormone, nothing like that, huh? No, it it wouldn't really benefit them that much. That is, in effect, okay. what your uh, what your garret juice or your liquid seaweed is. Now, your agarita seed. Um, I've gotten to where I like to soak just about any seed that I'm starting in Garrett juice for 15, 20 minutes before I plant. It really does seem to speed up the germination and increase the number of seed that will germinate. But Agarita, just, you know, start them out in a fairly loose medium. Your biggest danger on Agarita is staying too wet. Um, okay. And if you want to start them this time of year, I definitely get a propagating mat or something like that to start your seedlings on. But I think you're going to be very successful. <laughs> you must like getting yeah. stuck a lot. I agarita yeah. just grows wild all over my ranch. And let me tell you what: if I've got one tiny little hole in my work gloves, that's where that agarita thorn is going to find to go stick me. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it, and they're good plants they're great for wildlife and things but man i guess if you want to create a barrier that no living creature is going to want to go through agarita is going to be a pretty good uh a pretty good thing that you yeah. could use to start that i'm just listening about the what was that the escape uh inmate in that last newscast man if they had a 10 foot tall four foot thick uh hedge of agarita nobody would ever escape <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what I want to use it for, too, as a kind of a barrier. Yeah, it'll be but, very uh, good for that. As long as it gets good sun uh, and as long as it's not in the low area where water stands, should be very successful for you. Yeah. And uh, you were talking about honey a while ago. 
And my wife, she had a bad bruise, and I had to take her to the hospital about a year ago, and they used what they call meta honey on her. Uh-huh. And it's a honey they produced in uh, New Zealand. Really? And all the hospitals use it. I got some right now. It's hard to find. And it's made from the lepros. I'm going to mess this up. Leprosporum species. Uh huh. Manu- Manuka flower, I think it's called. Okay. And it's it's highly good for wounds and burns like that. And so they use it a lot. I was surprised. But that's that's interesting. I had the pleasure of going to New Zealand a few years ago. It's a long plane ride, but let me tell you, that's a fantastic country. <laughs> I'd be happy to go down and pick some more up for you if you can't find it in this country. <laughs> if you want to buy me a ticket, but that, that's go. interesting. They call it they call it meta honey. Yeah, that's what it's called. It's, it's about $32 at the drugstore that I get it from. Uh, you can get it cheaper online, I'm sure of it. That's what it's, it's one and a half out to, but it's it's good. Hey, I'll have to ask my friend at Rhonda's Nature's Way. Rhonda gets a lot of unusual things and sometimes a uh, lot less expensive than some of the other places. You might give her a call and see, but <laughs> I've learned something this morning. I really appreciate yeah. it. And uh, I found another way to get rid of Smilax or control it by eating it. Oh, really? Have you ever tried that? The berries or the leaves? No, the, the uh, shoots when they come out in the spring. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're talking about the thorny Smilax. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, they, I I haven't ever, uh, it, somebody telling me, hey, you ought to try that. Um, it's good and healthy, nothing wrong with it. I can't yeah, say that it's something I'm putting into my salads it. regularly, but yeah, I know what you're I speaking cook of. It. Cook yeah, it. Good. I cook it. Like yeah. you would uh, asparagus or something, maybe. Yeah, steam it. And uh, Yeah, it's great like that. And uh, one more thing, is your uh, almond verbena coming out from the top? My almond verbena at the nursery, and that's one reason, one of the many reasons I built a greenhouse. I'm going to really work on propagating the one we have at the nursery because it doesn't freeze back. Every other almond verbena I've ever seen freezes down in the winter, comes back in the spring. Ours is probably 8, 10 feet tall. It got broken up with the ice a couple of years ago, but... uh, the one that we have pretty much grows all the time and stays evergreen, so uh, it's kind of growing all over right now. It doesn't grow actively in the winter months, yeah. but keeps its leaves, and it grows like a weed in the spring. Well, mine's in the front yard. It froze back hard, lost all its leaves, but it's sprouting out all the way up the stems. I was surprised. Well, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, because if we get another yeah. <laughs> hard freeze, it will freeze back again, and that will weaken it. But uh, right. um, it is a very vigorous plant, and uh, I think, you know, sweet smelling flowers, bees love them. And, um, it's, it's not going to be the barrier that your agarita will, but it will certainly be good for all your wildlife. Well, okay, Bob, I appreciate what you do and happy new year. Happy new year to you and your family, Roy. And thanks for uh, sharing the information about the meta honey. I'm glad to hear it. All right. Thank you, sir. Certainly. Bye. All right. Top of the board is uh, W and then it'll be Robert. Good morning, W. Good morning. Morning, sir. I'm uh, trying to undo years and years of erosion in my backyard. Okay. Soil's soil's just about gone. I see these erosion barriers along the highway. Uh huh. Looks like straw wrapped up in webbing. Yeah. Where can I buy that? Um, there is a company down on the west side of downtown. I think they're on uh, Colorado Street. It's called Rufus Walker. And I think that they will they will be the most likely place you will find it. They have all sorts of uh, erosion matting, Marify fabric. Uh, it's called Rufus Walker Construction Specialties. 
and I'm pretty sure that they will carry it. You might ask at a farmer ranch store. There may be a uh, a source out there that I don't know about, but I think uh, I think your your bigger contractors. I think Rufus Walker is probably the place they're buying it. They have a lot of and and as the name implies, construction specialties. They have a lot of really neat things down there. They're hard to locate other places. Anything else I can help you with? Uh, no, I'll, I'm going to put the barrier in. I'm going to fill it in with dirt and plant some St. Augustine over the bed. That'll be fine. That'll be fine. Well, um, you know, get uh, you know, get your get your roots of um, some of the winter grasses and things started down there because roots are what hold soil in place. So uh, uh, give them a call and then. Um, I would let that that fabric sort of breaks down over time, and you may need to put a little bit of soil on top of it um, to be able to plant successfully plant St. Augustine. I'm not sure. You know, you've got to have new sod very tightly against the soil underneath to get good root development. I'm not sure if that fabric would inhibit the uh, St. Augustine roots at first. Long term, I don't think it'll be a problem, but um, I would look carefully at it and be prepared to put, you know, half an inch layer of dirt over the top of it before you plant your St. Augustine sod, and then I think you'd be very successful. Well, the whole reason I'm doing it is to avoid pulling a, a, a curve, a, yeah. uh, or a little, little retaining wall yeah. to hold the dirt. It's like a 12-inch drop-off between where the grass stops and where yeah. all the well, I think you're I think you're doing as good a thing as you possibly could, especially considering that we are into uh, supposedly an El Nino, which should be a wetter pattern. Um, drier times, I would tell you, I think you could just plant a vigorous winter rye or something like that. But because we have the potential for very regular rainfall for the next two, three, four months, uh, I think your erosion matting is going to be one of the best things you can do. So good luck with it. Uh, holler back at me if you learn anything that I would benefit from. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate the call. All right. Back to the phone line. It's going to be Robert and Laura and Marilyn. And Robert's up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Robert. Sorry about the voice. I asked Jennifer's finally caught up to me. <laughs> but I heard your caller, recent caller, about um, starting pomegranates. Right. With our with our new house, we inherited a mature pomegranate tree. But I think maybe it's um, – I think there's two groups, a, a, an oriental variety and a, and a sort of fruit-producing variety. Well, or, or, ornamental, not oriental, but ornamental variety and oh, a, and a productive one. Yeah. Yes, ornamental. That's <laughs> not not thinking too good this morning. Anyway, it's early. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it produces four or five or six fruits a year. Yeah. None of none of which are particularly useful. That's very typical uh, of the ornamental varieties. Well, the, the main function of the tree right now is shade, not good shade. It's kind of a scraggly tree. But I was just wondering if you could, if one could uh, graft. Absolutely. Uh, yep. So I've got a friend that has a magnificent uh, tree that produces a lot of fruit. Mm-hmm. And how, how would I go about that? Well, do a little research. You're certainly an Internet guy. And um, there are a couple of different ways. If you want to graft 
two limbs together that are about the same size, and you could actually graft several places on your, they're, they're really bushes more than trees, but look up and see what whip grafting, W-H-I-P, whip grafting is what's going to be most successful. If you want to cut your existing bush back substantially and then graft, you can do what is called cleft grafting, where you put in effect a small scion onto a bigger um, limb that you have cut back. You're just kind of matching up the, uh, the, the cambium layers with each other, which means moving to one edge or the other. But the simplest and probably most effective would be whip grafting, and you probably want to do you know, a number of branches. Uh, you may even want to look around. There are a bunch of different so-called improved pomegranate varieties. Are they really improved? Some of them make bigger fruit. I don't know. They make better fruit, but there's ambrosia. Um, you know, look around. If you have any other friends that have any of the different varieties of pomegranates, there's no reason you couldn't graft two or three onto your one bush. Oh, terrific. Okay. Well, uh, maybe a new project for my list of 1,000. So. <laughs> yeah. You got to put it at the top of the list or the bottom of the list. I find that uh, every time I take, I scratch one thing off the top of the list, I add three to the bottom. So good luck on that one. Well, things have a way of sifting out. <laughs> yes. Well, best to the dogs. Well, to you and your family and your pups and uh, kids and grandkids and everybody else, just the the best of the new year to you guys. Good to hear from you, Robert. Thank you. Bye. All right. Next up is Laura. Let me hit line number three. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Good. Um, I have a couple questions. Um, One, we just have, I guess, new dirt that uh, was put out, and I don't want to lose it with the rain. Okay. a good time to plant uh, Bermuda sod, or should we wait till spring? Um, you can do all right with Bermuda sod. It's going to not produce much growth on top, but you certainly will get some rooting. It's not the best time, but you know you, you can't you can't put off doing something, or the next rain may take all of your grass, some your your dirt somewhere else, and. Um, uh, sod is the only thing that will give you some, as it were, overnight protection. Now, if it's not a steep slope, the other option would be getting a winter rye of some sort, which will be up and growing and have some soil holding ability, you know, within, say, two to three weeks. Winter ryes tend to sprout from seed and grow very quickly. And, of course, the main advantage is very low cost. We're not necessarily going to be looking for one of the more expensive dwarf ryes. We're going to grow with just a, a simple rye that's going to produce enough roots to hold the soil in place. So those really are your two options, whether you want to go with sod or if you if you do have a budget that requires spending a little less money. Uh, rye seed is an option. It's just sort of hoping and praying we don't get a downpour in the next two or three weeks before it gets up and growing well. Okay. Okay. I think we'll make go with the sod. Um, and then I have one more question. Let, let me ask you one one more question first, Laura. Is this a pretty sunny area? Yes. Okay. Because that's necessary for Bermuda. You're just wasting your time to plant Bermuda in the say, shade, but out in the sun, no, that that's certainly viable. Okay. Perfect. It is a good area. Um, and my next question, so we have um, three verbenum bushes against our house. Okay. And the tops 
um, it, it seems like the tips are turning yellow, and they've been yellow for a few weeks. Um, we have other verbenum along our fence line, and those look, you know, beautifully green. So it, we were just wondering if there's a reason why um, the ones against our house are maybe turning yellow. Is your home brick or stone? It's stucco. Stucco, okay. And uh, how old, how, how new or old is your home? Uh, it's about 10 years old. Okay. Um, viburnum is, are, they're good plants. They're good hardy plants, but invariably where you have any kind of masonry or you have stucco, you wound up with a lot of uh, mortar slag as it was down in the soil. Builders are the world's worst about just dumping stuff on the ground and then covering up with little topsoil and hoping you don't notice. I suspect that the viburnum's up against your foundation. You've got a lot of alkali because you've got a lot of mortar a lot of stuff that was left in the soil i would if you can find some of the ladybug magic sand if you can find just almost any green sand or the best of the green sands right now that i've found is carl pool product called jersey green sand um, if you want to add uh, some compost as a mulch on the surface, it would be a good thing to do. The yellow tips on the viburnums are not going to change, but when they put on new growth in the spring, if you will improve the soil, if you will give them some good nutrition, then the new growth that comes out should be much darker green. And um, it's the only other option is, it, I mean, and if I were to build a new home, which I have no plans of doing, I would insist that they go through and excavate out all the soil that they dumped that kind of crud on while they're in the process of building or plastering or whatever else and go back with uh, with soil. I, I see so often the foundation plantings are not doing as well as the ones out in the yard, and it's mainly just the crud they left behind. So good organic fertilizer in the case of your viburnums a little bit of iron supplement of some sort and um you'll get beyond this problem and it probably won't ever occur again awesome thank you so much it's always a pleasure thank you for the call this morning <laughs> goodbye okay. all right uh let's go ahead and talk to Marilyn. good morning Marilyn. good morning good morning um i wanted to ask you two questions um is it too cold to put nematodes out right now? Absolutely not. I wouldn't put them out, you know, when the temperatures are hovering around freezing. But in San Antonio, if we have a freeze, it's going to be a light freeze. So uh, um, I, 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 you would be fine to put them out. My question would be, what are you treating for, fleas, or what, what, is, uh, what you're trying to control? Well, I heard last week, I heard Dr. Kirby saying that fleas were really bad right now. So mm -hmm. it's more like a preventative that I thought it might be a good idea to put those out. Well, yes and no. Um, fleas are really bad for some people. And in other areas, uh, fleas are not an issue at all. But, you know, if Dr. Kirby has a thousand clients and all of a sudden 200 of them have flea problems, we can see how uh, fleas are a real issue. But the other, you know, 800 out of a thousand don't have them. So if, if you're not experiencing a problem, um, I'm not sure that I would tell you that it's, that it's a necessary thing to do. Now, there's some things that you have to do this time of year. If you're trying to control ticks, you have to do it at this time of year. If you're trying to control little things we call thrips insects, you have to do that at this time of the year. But for fleas, your, your nematodes only live about 60 days in the soil. So 
my suggestion would be very vigilant if you start seeing fleas or if you have the first sign of an outbreak of fleas then i would very definitely get some beneficial nematodes and put them out but i can't tell you that it's that it's really necessary because there are a lot of people i knock on wood i have no flea issues in my yard at this point my business partner who has dogs cats deer and everything else around we're not seeing flea issues, and uh, the the people who have them have a real problem with them. But if you're not one who's fighting fleas, I think I'd just be prepared in case they show up. But I'm I'm not going to tell you to go out and buy okay. buy nematodes, put them out right now. Okay. Now you did mention ticks. I've never seen any ticks, mm-hmm. but we do have deer that run through our yard, so I wonder about that too. Well, uh, again, if you're if if they're not a problem. Uh, Mm-hmm. you've never had I, again beneficial nematodes aren't terribly expensive and uh, i'm not opposed to putting them out preventatively but i'm also you know I, it's just weighing the potential for a problem against uh, having a problem and um the one thing about ticks we do not have nearly the number of ticks we once had because of this damnable little thing called a fire ant fire ants may be horrible in a lot of ways but fire ants have, have almost yeah and if you have a lot of fire ants you're not going to have ticks because it's one of the main things that uh, fire ants kill and eat so again the choice is yours i'm not going to discourage you from putting them out but i'm sure not going to tell you that it's mandatory that you do so it's it's fine time to put them out but i'm not sure how much you're going to accomplish with it Okay. Um, one more question. Um, we we brought in a big uh, harvest of mustard greens mm-hmm. last night. Well, actually last week to take to my daughter's and we forgot them in our refrigerator. So uh-huh. for a whole week they were in the refrigerator. Then we got them out and washed them and everything. And there was these little tiny bugs. They were almost, they were jumping like fleas, uh-huh. but they weren't fleas. And uh, I just was wondering like, do we need to treat for those, and what are they? No, they're, they're probably like tiny, tiny. Just like they look like fleas, but and they jump like fleas, but they were more like a beetle in shape. They could be something called colimbolans. The name is springtail is the common name for them. Uh, there are so many different beetles out there. As Charles Darwin said, uh, the good Lord must have had an inordinate fondness of beetles because he made so many of them. Um, I I would say probably before you plant your next crop in the garden i put out beneficial nematodes at that point for controlling wireworms along with a lot of different beetles um I, it's hard I, I i doubt if it's enough of an issue to really tell you to uh to put out the nematodes uh, because the nematodes don't come out of the ground and get the beetles that are above ground anyway um, they would be going after the larvae of little beetles of any sort, and um, there are not really many larvae in the soil at this time of the year. So <laughs> I think I would just wash thoroughly. If I were mm-hmm. going to try to eliminate them, in this case I think spraying with a safe uh, organic liquid like spinosad or spinosad soap is probably going to be far more efficient uh, as far as controlling those guys. Okay, I've heard y'all talk a lot about spraying with peroxide. Not going to do much in this case. Peroxide is mainly for disease control, and what you're looking at is an insect. All right, well, that's very helpful. Those are very good questions, Marilyn. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly. Goodbye. Michael's up first. Good morning, Michael. 
Uh, good morning. Morning, sir. Um, hearing you talk about the nematodes, um, I recently moved into a semi-rural part of right outside of Austin okay. in, in a mobile home. And, um, you know, there are some two nice, large red oak trees and a few hackberries, so it's shady. Um, I discovered I've got chiggers. So mm-hmm. every time I come and go inside the house, um, you know, at night, I can feel them biting and I'm itching. And um, so besides, of course, I need to rake the leaves, I suppose, outside. But uh, would uh, spinosad work or should I go for nematodes? Or Well, nematodes aren't going to work. And I hate to tell you, this time of year, they're probably not chiggers. Chiggers are hot weather creatures. That's now, what I thought, yeah. yeah. There are many other mites, though, and chiggers are actually a mite, not an insect. I think um, you would probably be better. You could try the spinosad, but if you can find something like a, uh, like a cedar oil product, like cedar side, that okay. seems to be one of the most effective things at uh, eliminating eliminating most of these mites. Um, a product with rosemary or lavender or something like that. I'm thinking of something like Nature's Creation has a product called Mound Drench which is very effective, but you would use it in a totally different fashion uh, uh, to control fire ants and things. We dilute it uh, in water and just pour over the area, uh, but it is very, very high, especially in rosemary oil. And spraying that around, I think we go a long way toward eliminating your mite problem. But unfortunately, I don't think the nematodes would be, you know, kind of a one-and-done easy answer. But you could try the spinosad, you could try cedar side, you could try uh, any rosemary or lavender oil product should eliminate the mites, and uh, you probably will never have them again. Okay, that sounds, and raking the leaves is probably a good idea, right? Uh, I would just uh, shred the leaves up. I mean, if you're wanting to improve your soil for planting things, um, rather than raking them and throwing away a really valuable source of organic material, um, run your mower. If you don't have a mower, rent one for an hour and just go through and shred those leaves up and leave them in place. They'll reduce mud and they'll build your soil at the same time. Okay. Well, I'll certainly try those cedar oil products. Let me know how it works for you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for the call. Goodbye. All right, it's uh, Sandy's turn. Good morning, Sandy. Hi, Bob. Hi. I have kind of a strange problem. I (laughs) planted um, some cauliflower and broccoli, and broccoli's doing great. The cauliflower, the plants look great. They don't have any cauliflower. They're they're much slower to produce than broccoli. If you plant broccoli and cauliflower at the same time, it's going to be three or four weeks after your broccoli starts producing, before you see the first cauliflower, they're just they're just slower slower to uh, make that head. Okay, because I was wondering if maybe the 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 uh, the plants were mistagged or something at the no. nursery, and I got something. Else. <laughs> no, I mean, they. I've grown cauliflower before, and it looks just like cauliflower would look, except there's no little golf balls. Well, it. and it looks just like uh, the only difference I really see is cauliflower has a slightly more of a blue green to gray green leaf than broccoli does but it looks a lot like cabbage looks like a lot like brussels sprouts i mean if we're accidentally brussels sprouts mistagged as cauliflower you'd be waiting another 90 days before you saw anything on that but uh all all the commonly grown cauliflower varieties take about three weeks longer to produce than the it's not so much that the cauliflower takes longer it's just that the newer broccoli varieties begin producing sooner 
Okay. Very good. Well, then I'll I'll give them some more time. I think I just love it when you have a problem that turns out not to be a problem. Just be aware because it's going to be well into January when they do start producing. Cauliflower is not as cold-hardy as broccoli, and I'm not predicting, and I'm certainly not hoping. I'm hoping it will not get cold, but if we should see one of those real, what my grandfather used to call a blue norther in uh in January, yeah. be prepared to protect your cauliflower. They'll. Oh, I have been. Okay, uh, you know Thank all about God. it then. So develop Thank a little you. patience, and you'll do fine, Sandy. <laughs> okay. Thank you. You're Bye-bye. you're welcome. Thank you. Happy New Year. And to you as well. Okay. All right, let's talk next to Mary Lou. Good morning, Mary Lou. Hi. Good morning. How are I you today? About, oh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm with my husband, and we have a kind of an heirloom giant cranum that we've grown in a pot that was his mother and it has produced a bunch of pups and we don't know how to separate them from the mother now tell me once again what kind of plant it is it's a giant crinum oh crinum okay okay um yeah and is this uh you say it's in a pot is it outside uh where it has frozen back uh with the okay We've been taking it in to protect it from the freezes. Okay, and is this one of the ones that has the white kind of spidery flowers, or is it a pink? Is it a rose color? What color are the it's blooms? A, it's a purple one. Okay. Purple pink. Okay. It's beautiful produces multiple spike. You know, one spike with multiple flowers on it, mm. but that come out. Okay, probably a variety called Eileen Bosenkant. If you ever want to look that up. Um, okay. There is no right or wrong way with the crinums. The longer you leave those little side bulbs attached to the bigger bulbs, the faster they grow. And you can either, you know, wait until the little side bulbs are, you know, I would say half the size of the bigger bulbs. That to me would be an ideal time to separate them. Um, you can take them off when they're very small, but it'll take two or three years before they get big enough to bloom. If you let the little side ones get to be about half the size of the the mother bulb, so to speak, you'll probably have blooms the same year. Um, not a bad time of year to uh, to do it. You can do it right now. You can actually do it um, in the spring. You would want to get it. You would want to get them divided before they really start putting on that burst of spring growth. And when you divide them off, you probably want to take a pair of shears and cut about half the leaves. If the leaves on there are probably what eighteen inches long or so. I'd, I'd cut them back to about nine inches long just to reduce the, uh, you know, the stress from the amount of water that the bulbs are or the leaves are transpiring out. Uh, just repot them individually into good potting soil and don't keep them soggy wet. But on the other hand, don't let them get bone dry. They're not going to do a lot of growing this time of year, but the roots will certainly grow. And like I say, you'll probably you'll have flower size plants flowering size plants that you've divided off the mother ball but it's um it's going to be some work as you know those roots may be practically pencil sized and you can use anything from a sharp knife to what howard garrett always talks about that hoary hoary knife that can be used almost as a saw or you can actually use some very heavy duty pruning shears or if you have super strong hands what's that another plant it doesn't hurt the mother plant to cut them off like that no not at all Okay, because we, you know, it's 
there's a lot of them, and I'm afraid we're going to have to actually take the mother plant out mm-hmm. along with the babies to get everything out. Oh, no doubt you uh, will. You'll take a you'll take that mother plant out of the pot. You'll probably take a garden hose and wash a lot of the soil away because when you cut off those little bulbs, you're gonna they're gonna make kind of a tangled mass around there, and you're gonna spend some time just kind of separating the okay. roots and things. This is going to be an all afternoon project. Don't think you're okay. going to get it done in 15 minutes but uh okay yeah it's you will you'll basically bare root it but bulbs like this grow lots of roots very very quickly and um uh, again if you have large wounds on the mother bulb you might dust uh i don't know a little sulfur or something like on that if you wanted to or better still okay. just let the the mother plant that you've cut everything off of let it dry and callous for couple of days before you repot it but um okay that sounds good but do do keep it warm do keep all of the uh your new plants warm and uh uh, a little late for christmas but you'll have some great easter presents to give away if you have people that have been admiring it you have a great little gift you can give them okay we yeah definitely we do have people it's a spectacular plant yeah so uh we didn't want to hurt the mother plant but we wanted to harvest the babies off of it no go go uh, ahead and just just in fact you could even do the same thing with the babies make today the day that you do the separating and let them just callous let those wounds kind of dry i mean in the ideal world uh if this were say a St. John's lily that was worth $10,000 or something like that. You might put something moist over the roots, but leave the top where the wounds are exposed to where they can dry and callous. But uh, this is, you're going to be successful with 99% of the ones you cut off are going to be just fine. All right. Well, thank you so much and happy new year to you. And to you and all your family as well, Mary Lou. I I was going to say hello, Mary Lou, but then people would probably know how old I was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and burst into song you have a great new year and we'll talk again you too thank you all so right, much bye-bye. goodbye and all the under 30 people out there are saying he's crazy what's he talking about let's first of all talk to robert though good morning robert good morning bob uh really enjoy listening to your show every week i appreciate uh, that very much oh thanks i was wondering I'm, i want to start a hot a hot composting pile i was wondering if you could kind of uh give me a step-by-step amount of how many layers I would have, the thickness of each layer, the green material to the brown material, and the height to build it up, and how long it would take before the, uh, it starts heating up the pile itself? Well, the thing that heats the pile up, of course, is microbial activity. And, you know, we talk a lot about ideal ratios, probably the ideal ratio is about one part green to, you know, nine parts brown or something like that. But where you want to heat it up, um, what you want to do is add something that stimulates uh, microbial activity, mainly bacterial, and that's going to be something sugary. Uh, whether it, it can be just sugars, it can be molasses, I think is an ideal thing. Oh, Malcolm Beck, uh, talked to Coca-Cola company. Coca-Cola people were paying saws like $45,000 a year or something like that for the right to dump their out-of-date sugary Coke syrup down the down the sewer, in effect. And Malcolm said, oh, I'll tell you what. He said, come put it on my compost pile, and I won't charge you a penny. In fact, I'll pay you $10 a load for it. So wow. doing things like that are what are going to heat your compost pile up. Uh, now, two or three related things to tell you about that. Um if you want it as hot as possible, if you want it to break down as fast as possible, 
you can go out and turn it regularly. That that will make the fastest compost. That's the good side. The bad side is when you're turning that compost frequently, you're destroying most, much of the fungal content, and you're going to produce compost that's almost 100% bacterial. It's not bad compost, but it's not nearly as good as a a compost that has a blend of beneficial both bacteria and fungi your big compost producers these days are they use what they call the static pile method where they only turn that pile every 60 to 90 days and their piles don't get as hot and the compost doesn't get ready quite as quickly but you end up with a higher quality compost now the other side of this and it relates to your question as to how high to make the pile i doubt that you will ever in a home compost pile make a huge huge pile but your professional composters that have the ability to make a pile that's 20 feet tall they don't ever do it because that pile can get so hot that it spawn that it can bust spontaneously and just about every compost producer out there at one time or another has started fires by making his compost piles too high and too hot so i'm going to tell you an ideal sized home pile is three to five feet tall you're never going to have to worry about spontaneous combustion or anything like that in a pile that size but it's there's an art as well as a science to making compost so so uh, um, those are just the basics. Again, the exact ratio of green to brown, not all that critical. If you want to speed it up, something sugary will very definitely speed it up. And if you want the best quality of compost, don't turn it too often. Let it stay in place, and that way you get the good filamentous uh, fungi along with the bacteria. Does that, that cover the basics for you? Oh, yeah, it really does. I really appreciate that. But as far as the green material, should that be in the center of the pile itself along with that sugary type? No, no, just blend it up. I think, uh, you know, sometimes in building the pile, it's convenient to do layers. But if you had a way to mix it up and then pile it up, that would be the best of all worlds. And then just moist it down with a a hose or something to keep it kind of moist or something? Keep it moist but not soggy wet. If it gets soggy wet, it goes anaerobic, and you don't want that. Okay, great. And I was also at Shades of Green yesterday, and I talked to Jeff on there. He said y'all are making compost tea. Is that compost tea that you're making, is that good to spray on, like, vegetable plants? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's just it's a, just a super concentration of microbes. We'll talk all about that another time because I'm out of time. Phone lines are open for Dr. Kirby's show, which starts very soon here on KTSA San Antonio.